Well, again, I want to welcome everybody watching by live stream or listening by podcast. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2 and 3, Jesus made it clear that he was sending us out into the harvest because the fields are great and ripe and plentiful. He made it very clear that we don't have a harvest problem, we have a worker problem. The harvest is plentiful, the harvest is great, and the Bible says that the fields are white, meaning that they're ready to be harvested. But the challenge that we have is with the laborers. The word laborer is actually an agricultural farming term in the Greek. It means to be a husbandman. It means to work the field. It means that we're field workers. Everybody say this together with me. Say, I'm a field worker. <laughs> and so laborers are critical to the kingdom of God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, when God uh, created the garden and all the herbs and everything was done, he said that the garden was missing one thing. You know what it was? Somebody to work and till the ground. That's why he created Adam. And that's ultimately why we were created. We're all farmers. We're all gardeners. We're all called to cultivate the fields in our life and even the lives of other people and in this world system. And so today I'm going to be talking to you about fields. And I want to help you understand what we're in for as we go out into the harvest field. Our community, our workplace, our family, our own hearts, all the things that we encounter and doing it Jesus's way. We're going to have difficulty and we're going to have obstacles, but God wants us to propel each other into their purpose and their destiny, not make it about us. So the laborers are few. The workers are few. The word few has three connotations to it. It has the connotation of number. It has the connotation of time. And it has the connotation of intensity. Here's the first thing. There's not enough of us. There's not enough of us. Even though there's Christians all over the world, there are not enough that are actively working the fields in this world or in our own families aggressively. There needs to be more. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So we pray to Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, to raise up more workers, to raise up more laborers. We are called to be the gardeners and the tillers of the field and the ground that is put before us. The laborers also get things done. They accomplish things. They're not sidetracked. They're not focused on themselves. And that's the second understanding. The second understanding is of time. And the mindset is this. The job before us is so great and it's so desperate to be accomplished, but there's so few of us and such a short time to get it done. Everybody say this together with me. Say time is short. So the days are flying by, wouldn't you agree? As fast as we wake up, it seems like I'm going to bed, especially if you have kids. I mean, we have some long days, but still, I mean, it's, I'm amazed to see how fast my own kids and even your kids are growing. Time is flying by. In Revelations 12, 12, it says that the enemy was cast down to the earth with wrath against God's people because he, knew, he knows his time is short. And so the enemy is aggressive. That's why we have to be more aggressive. And I've been using that word a lot lately because I feel like there's a lackluster, dumbed-down faith in most of the church, and I don't want it in you. And what happens is, is if you're fully focused and sidetracked on yourself and the busyness and the cares of this world, instead of the harvest field that God has set before us, it's not going to get reaped. 
people aren't going to come in and experience the life and the love and the family that God has set before them. Everybody say, tag, I'm it. You're it. Now, I realize times and seasons and where you're at in your life and you're overcoming struggles and challenges. I realize that some of you are dealing with some real difficulties. I get it. But I also wonder myself, does that ever really end? Do you ever really come to the spot like, ah, finally reprieve. Now I can really rock it. You know, I've said that my whole Christian life. Like in next year, next week, five years from now, I'm going to get more aggressive. Aggression starts now. Now, aggression is not hurtful, spiteful, and it doesn't look dysfunctional. Aggressive is being diligent in warfare, spiritual warfare, through worship, reading your words, spending time with Jesus, prayer. The way that we fight is a lot different than the aggression of the world. We're not worldly aggressive. We're spiritually aggressive. And I've talked to you about that a lot. It's 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of human nature, but they're mighty through God. And so my job as a spiritual life coach and pastor is to get you more aggressive. And if I have anything to do with it, I'm going to accomplish that task. And also let you know you're not the only one doing it because I'm out there doing it too. We're not alone. And what I understand is when I see the news every day, every day, it's, the world is spinning more and more and more out of control. But what I want to do is keep you from spinning out of control and you go be Jesus's hands and feet and be the answer to a crazy lost world. Do you understand that you're it? We're it. God's answer on earth is the body of Christ walking in power with his presence and living upright and demonstrating what real Christian life should look like. Amen? <clears throat> so the labors are few in number. The labors are running short on time. And lastly, the labors need to be more intense. And the word intense in this dynamic of few means to shine brighter. It means to shine brighter. It means to shine brighter today than you shined brighter yesterday. It means to burn like a lamp and a torch, to set yourself on fire for all the world to see, and to blaze like a burning bonfire. That's how we are. We are the light of the dark. We're the light in the darkness. Okay? Next is you have to understand that in the fields, let's pull the scripture back up. It's, it's verse 3. What are in the fields? There's wolves in the field. We're going to talk a little bit about wolves today. And we're going to talk about some of the things that you're going to encounter if you haven't already in your personal life, with friends, or in the future. You know, one of the things that is so difficult for me is when I really invest in people's lives and I watch them grow, when it comes time to bearing fruit, they do the opposite of what God asks or expects. Have you ever had people that you've really invested time into and then later in, in life or at some point they turn their back on you? You thought they were your friend, but then suddenly they weren't. The worst is when you have people that lay claim to being a Christian and then their lives don't live it and then they turn their back on you and they want to devour you for the way that you're living. Have you ever had that happen? I have. And it really, really hurts when it's friends or family or people that you invest into a lot. And so Jesus talks about that and where that comes from and what that looks like and gives us answers and how we're to respond and how we're to handle it. And today what I want to do is to equip you and empower you for what God's called you to do. 
where we're ultimately going is dealing with mental illness and the struggles in people's minds and removing blinders off of their eyes that the enemy has put there. But I've been focusing on the last month on more evangelical topics like apologetics, like being the dragnet, like being the salt of the earth, like being a wise tree from mustard seed faith to a tree where people can find rest. So I've been on this thread of understanding because I, we have to be more evangelical in nature. That doesn't mean rigid, stiff, and religious. What it means is heralding the good news to people's lives, the gospel, so that they can find answers and hope when they're broken and spinning out. And that when they come here, they find life, love, freedom, and health in a family. That's what that means, all right? And so wolves are in the fields. I'm going to teach you a new word today. You guys know I like to teach you all new words. I do this a lot. The word today is rapacious. How many of you know what rapacious means? Do you know today, Nikki? You do know. All right. She's our, our scholar of the house over the last few weeks. <laughs> the word rapacious means to be excessively greedy. It means to be aggressively greedy. It means to, to be predatory in nature with a design to steal, kill, and destroy. It means to be an extortionist. It means that I want to take what's not rightfully mine from you. And I want to make what's yours rightfully mine. I'm going to steal it from you. And I'm predatory in nature. That's what a wolf is. So when he says, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves, what you have to understand is that there's people out there, sadly, that want to rob, steal, kill, and destroy from you. Now, the Bible makes it clear that our enemy is not people. It's people being played like puppets from the real enemy. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but the enemy uses flesh and blood to come against us. And so we have to know how to recognize it. We have to know how to, what our proper response should be. We have to know how to, what God's proper response is. And we know, have to know how to deal with people that are wolf in nature. Now, this is a little bit of a crazy topic for me since I've not taught this to you ever before. It's a little bit more intense than my last week's message on salt. I realize I got y'all pretty fired up. I got a lot of great feedback with that. This may not be the most popular Sunday morning message, but you need to hear it. Because I'm out to help you navigate this, the insanity of the world and to be the light, not to shelter and fear back. And also for you not to get devoured by a predator. There's predators out there, I can assure you. So in a sense, Jesus was saying, beware of the rapacious predators. They want to kill, they want to devour, and they're like wolves. And Jesus made it very clear. The harvest is great, the labors are few, and I'm sending you into it. And guess what? When you get out into there, into the fields, there are wolves there, but here's how you're to respond. You're to be like a lamb. So I'll say, like a lamb. So Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Now Jesus got very aggressive with the religious leaders of the day and said some pretty harsh words. He didn't mince words. Jesus wasn't out to just be nice. 
Now, he reflected the fruit of his own spirit in how he lived his life. But at the same time, Jesus was firm with the doctrine and the unbelieving religious leaders of the day, but he also was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Here's why. Jesus knew that if he didn't defend and fight to preserve and protect himself, that ultimately he would win. So it seemed like to the world system and the religious leaders that he was being passive. But passive is not a fruit of the Spirit. Remember that. Passive is not a fruit of the Spirit. Instead, Jesus knew that if he fulfilled the task in front of him and went to the cross, guess what would happen? All of his enemies and the, the, the demonic forces would be put where? Under his feet. Now, Jesus had power. Jesus had a lot of power. And Jesus at any time, he even said it. He said, no one's taking my life from me. I'm choosing to give it. So we as lambs choose to give our lives for one another, right? Nobody takes your life from you. We make the choice to give it to other people, just like Jesus went to the cross. But it's also kind of like this. If you've ever, a lot of you probably haven't, but if you ever take a concealed carry handgun class, one of the first things that you're taught is to never tell anybody that you're packing heat. And we pray that we never, ever, 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 ever have to use our gun. Do you understand? So the first thing is just you've got the power, but nobody really has to know it. And what it means is, is I'm not passive. It means that I'm submitted to the Lord and I have power at any time, but I'm doing what he tells me to do his way. And that means laying my life down. Now, I'm not talking about spiritual power, busting up demons and stuff like that. I'm talking about how we love and lay our lives down for one another. We're to be like lambs among wolves. And that means that I don't have to, have to defend myself even though I walk in apologetics, which means I can give an answer for the hope that's in me, but I'm not having to be like on the defensive. Christianity is an offensive strategy. God gives us offensive strategies. He doesn't want us to live constantly on the defense, all right? So there's wolves in the field, and we're to be like lambs. The third thing I want you to do is understand the fields that you're called to, and we're going to talk about different types of fields here in just a moment. But in the world system, it is not a level playing field. Have you ever heard the term level playing field? Now, I know a lot of you are excited to watch football later today. Have you ever wondered why at halftime the teams change sides? Do you know why? Because it came from the design of a level playing field back in the day. Because what happens is wind, light, and back in the day, fields were sloped. And so the mindset was is we would change sides in order to make it even. But in the kingdom of God, it is a level playing field. In the world system, it is not. The world system is competitive in nature. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. It's like climbing the corporate ladder. People will do whatever it takes to propel themselves. In the world system, it's really about me. In the world system, it's divided, it's polarized, there's racism, there's divisions, there's political divides, there's all these divides. We look at people based on social class, color of their skin, the money, there's all kinds of dysfunction in the world system. It is not a level playing field. 
In the world system, it's about my success and I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And not everybody has the same equal chance, even though the world tries to make it seem that way. But in the kingdom of God, everybody has the same equal chance to succeed and be prosperous God's way and become who God's called them to become. God is no respecter of persons. Here's how it works. In the world system, it's all about me and propelling myself. In the kingdom of God, it's all about you and us propelling each other. Now I want you to be better than I am. Now I want you to succeed and become everything God has for you, no matter what it takes for me to propel you. Run faster than me. Grow stronger than me. I'm doing all I can to propel you, and I have no competitive thing in me. I don't expect anything in return. It's pure love. I don't, it's, if you don't write a check, if you serve or don't serve, it doesn't matter. I love you for who you are, and I want to see you propelled into your destiny. Because if I propel you, guess what God does to me? He'll propel me. And that's the way it works in the kingdom. Everybody has an equal chance, and everybody is to be seen equally in the kingdom of God. Do you understand? So when we talked about the dragnet, with the dragnet, where, where Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a dragnet, says that the dragnet catches all the fish, and then the angels come and cull out the bad fish. We're called to be fishers of men, not clean them too. And I'm going to show you in just a moment another example regarding the harvest field or the wheat and the tares. But I first want you to understand that there are different types of field systems. And in the kingdom, it is a level playing field. So when you come into God's family, it's a level playing field. We work together to propel each other as one. Now, the concept of the field or fields are many in the Bible. In the Bible, God talks about heart soils or the condition of our heart as like a field. You've heard me teach on heart soil, and you know that most of you should know the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, the sower is sowing seed into the different heart conditions of man. So we know that hearts are likened unto soil or, or uh, fields. We know that our family's a field. We know that our community around us is a field. Our church is a field. And in John 4, 35, Jesus makes this awesome statement. He says, lift up your eyes to the fields. Look at the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. They're already white for the harvest. We know that the mustard seed, a little bitty tiny speck on the tip of your thumb, can turn into a mighty tree. Where was the mustard seed planted? In a field. We know that man is called to till the ground of the field in Genesis. We know that the sower sowed sows seed in the field. We know that the field is not only a place where crops and harvests are produced, but a place where people make the choice to reject the word and then in turn trample it under their feet. We also know that out in the fields, there's birds of the air. There's demonic forces that want to steal the word that God has planted into your heart. Some of us receive it with joy, and then hardship, persecution, money problems, or pursuit of material gain and wealth, comparison, whatever it is, and bam, the birds of the air come to steal that seed. We know that in the field, there's incredible treasure that's been hidden. It's the pearl of great price, or the treasure that the, that the farmer bought the whole field just to get the one treasure. 
And we know that the, the field is a place where God wants to bless us. And I'll show you that in just a little bit from Deuteronomy 28. And finally, the gist of my message this morning is the field is a place where the enemy also plants. So not only are we planting and reaping, but we also know that the enemy is planting. He plants something that I'm going to teach you about today that is incredibly toxic and incredibly poisonous. And that is called a tear or a darnell. And I'm going to teach you about the tears today. All right. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Matthew 13, 24. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. This is why I talk with you about the church being militant. Not militant like a super strict militant father full of rules and policies and harsh and not loving. Militant in the context of we're in a war. The devil works on over time to destroy you. He hates you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But we've got to fight through spiritual weapons and the power of God to rescue, redeem, and build on earth everything that God has called, just like it is in heaven, all right? And so he said, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. And I'll explain to you how that happens in just a moment. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So in verse 36, the disciples would come to Jesus and say, explain this parable to us. Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And Jesus answered and said to them, he who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the son of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And so we understand a few things. The field is the world. The sower is Jesus. The good seed is reproductive power of his nature that produces sons and daughters because they would, the good seed would become sons and daughters of the kingdom or of Jesus. Tares are the sons of the wicked one. Now, that's a difficult concept for some of us, and that's diff, a little bit difficult to preach, that there's actually people that, would, that Jesus would call sons of the wicked one. That's not the most popular message on a Sunday morning, but you have to understand it, and I'm going to break it down for you today. And then finally, the devil is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. So let's talk about tares a little bit. Tares are known as a mimic weed, meaning that it's an imposter. It looks like wheat. It can even taste like wheat initially. 
when the tares and the wheat are sprout or coming up out of the ground and growing together, it's very, very difficult to distinguish between the two. Let's pull up the first picture. So here's a picture of tares and wheat side by side. And when they're growing in bundles or bushels all across a field, it's very, very difficult for you to distinguish the two. Now, if you get close enough upon inspection, you can tell the difference, but it's not easy. It's called a mimic weed because it mimics what, what wheat actually looks like. Now, the funny thing about tares is tares is actually not a weed, believe it or not. It is a grain. But the problem with tares is that rooted inside of the seed, inside of the husk, when it fully becomes fruitful, when it comes to ripening, inside the husk is a little black seed. Whereas wheat stays golden, tares become black. Because, here's why, because that seed is infected with a fungus that's toxic and will kill you. If you eat tares... The symptoms of tears are this. For the first thing is you become extremely apathetic. And there are people in the kingdom still eating from tears that looks good and sounds good. It's false religion. It's not understanding the true nature and character of who Jesus is and then accurately living it. It's living a religious lie. And it's toxic. And it'll kill you. It's infected. It's poisonous. The next thing that it does is it causes nausea. Then it causes your heart to race. Then it causes you to get really dizzy. Then it causes you to have slurred speech. Then it causes you to have blurred vision. The next thing that it does is it causes you to, to hyperventilate. And then the list goes on. It causes you to have diarrhea, colic, and then it'll make you unconscious. It can cause paralysis and even death. That's what tares do. And so they're deceptive in nature. They look like wheat. They may even act like wheat. And the only time that you can actually distinguish the two accurately is when they produce fruit. All right? I also want you to know that tares can't, the only way that tares can ever get planted into a crop is if, if, is if man inadvertently plants it, or livestock. There's no other way. Usually, the number one way is man's involvement. They didn't realize that it was in the harvest, so when they harvested the wheat, there were tares mixed in it, and then when they replanted seed, it got replanted. Or, of course, through livestock. Hence, the enemy came and planted the seed, or planted the tares while men slept. You know, I've had more crazy things happen at night. I don't know about you, but the enemy seems to try to work extra at night while men sleep. We've had crazy stuff happen. I found myself getting up more in the night lately. I found myself praying more in the night. Sometimes I'll stay up later or I'll get up earlier because I find myself really interceding and praying at night. We have to be diligent. And we have to understand that the enemy works on overtime to destroy your life. But never forget this also, God works the night shift. And there are also times where the Lord's like, just rest and be at peace and sleep. Because we do need our sleep. We have to be rested also physically. And so the enemy 
does all he can to sow these types of things into our crops and into our fields and into our family. Here's the next thing. Root systems of tares, the root system, intertwines with the root system of the wheat. So there's two dynamics. One, you may not be able to see it with the natural eye or distinguish it well enough. Number two, if I pull up the tares, guess what I could do? Pull up the wheat because the root systems are intertwined. Now, all of us, before we got born again, had tares in our life. It's an infectious fungus from the garden. So when Jesus comes, he heals your heart and he transforms you. He takes you from a black poisonous toxic seed and then he turns you into wheat or he turns you into the harvest and he transforms you and he causes you to be life-giving and life-producing. But now what we want to do is make sure that we're not allowing those tares to come back in or we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work on our soul realm and root out the tares over the course of time. Okay, so I'm going to talk with you more about that in just a moment. The reason why Jesus said, let them grow together is because he didn't want the wheat damaged in the process. We're not to differentiate and we're not to discriminate. Just like the fish of all different kinds, discrimination is not in the kingdom. Does everybody understand that? It was the angel's job to come and differentiate the two. Now, there's identifiers of tares. Tares have identifiers to them. They're toxic. And so what we want to do is identify them in our lives and stop trying to pick the speck out of everybody else's eye. And we want to help other people to become healthy. And I'm going to show you how we do that in just a moment. We're supposed to treat people equally with love. But it doesn't mean that there's, there are times that we don't show tough love. And sometimes you have to show tough love to even the ones you've loved the most. After I got born again and got home after being in jail and I was, you know, I was a deadhead prior to that, all my friends were, great, were deadheads and going to the Grateful Dead concerts. I had some great friends that really loved me. But, but right off the bat, they wanted to smoke, they wanted to toke, they wanted to party, they wanted to go clubbing, they wanted to go dancing. And they even laid claim to being Christians and telling me that there was forgiveness. But at the end of the day, if I didn't separate myself from those friends, they would have pulled me down. Sometimes we can have friendships that are toxic in our life. And sometimes at the end of the day, their hearts really aren't to grow and bloom and blossom and propel you. What they're really out to do is make it about them and pull you down in the process. A great example of that comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Let's look at that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, actually the first nine verses says that in the end times, there'll be perilous times, that people are going to become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and there's a whole list of what happens. But what I want you to see is this, is these types of people actually look like a form of godliness, but they deny the power. And so, you know, for us being nice, it's like, oh, I've had people that claim to be Christians, but they're living so contrary to what God has called the kingdom to look like. And they're propelling themselves and laying claim to something, but their lives don't reflect it. And at the end of the day, those people will do all they can to rob, steal, kill, and destroy from me. And so Jesus said, these types of people are bitter. He gives a whole list. I'll just give you some of the things. He says, number one, they're brutal. They're unforgiving. They're bitter. They're lover themselves. He goes on to say that they're always learning. 
but never perceiving. They're always gaining instruction, but never being transformed. And then he goes on to say that these type of people actually don't love God. And their heart, he goes on to say, uh, the Apostle Paul goes on to say that these are the type of people that take gullible women captive in their homes. And so this type of person will take people captive. And so you know what Jesus, what, or what Paul said to do? Turn away from them. Now that's hard to do, guys. I get it. And there's really very, very few people ever that have come here, maybe two in the life of Rock City's history that we've had to say you can't come here. They've come in with personal intentions to, to, to make it about them. Their lives aren't reflective, yet they're claiming to be something that they're not. And we work with them, and we work with them, and we work with them. And ultimately, they weren't willing to be transformed. They were headstrong to do it their own way. And it was a really, really bad. They were, they were toxic in nature. So the very actual word for tear is the word Darnell. And the word Darnell has a scientific name. That scientific name, I'm going to tell it to you, but you won't remember it, is lolium temulentum. Lolium temulentum. The word lolium is a Greek word which means crafty, deceitful, and treacherous. The word darnel or temulentum means drunken in Latin or intoxicated in French. So this actual grain used to be used in the production of beer. And people would add it into some of their beer because it would initially cause a little bit of a euphoric high. But too much of it kills you. It intoxicates you. Intoxicates you. And so what happens is, is people can become toxic in nature. And that's difficult. But the Bible has a lot to say about people that get toxic in nature. And the Bible has a lot to say even to the Corinthian church about the Corinthian church being carnal and allowing toxic things to be happening in the church that were unhealthy for the church. And so, first of all, I want you all to know, I don't think any of you are toxic. Okay, I just want you to know that. Another reason why Jesus said, let them grow together is because I'm not, my, my design and your design isn't to be going eeny, meeny, miny, mo. you're toxic, you have to go. <laughs> so don't worry. I'm, this, I, this teaching can be so taken out of context, but I've got to teach it. It's not the most fun topic, but it has to be taught. It's not, think about this. Could you imagine if I was going around the room going, ah, tear, wheat, tear, wheat, tear, wheat, tear, wheat, tear, wheat. And then man's religious nature would be to try to rip you out or deal with the dysfunction in your life. That's why I teach you we're not God cops. It's not my job to be uprooting systems in your heart. My job's to help you if you want it. My job is to be an example of what healthy looks like. My job is to help shine light and to help you cut roots in your life. Anytime I work with somebody on deliverance, I always work to help them self-realize for themselves. And then I teach them to take authority through forgiveness, through repentance, and through saying, God, root out the systems in my heart that are unhealthy. Now, the greatest way, let's say that there are tear-like issues in your life. Let's say that you have some tear-like issues in your life, but you also have wheat roots. Let's everybody say this together. Bad root, 
bad fruit. So the best way, I'm going to show you some actual terms and the ways that farmers deal with tares in their crops. I'm going to read it to you in a minute. But do you know the number one best way to overcome tares is to grow stronger wheat roots? So if we become a strong wheat root family that's healthy and producing fruit, the tares don't stand a chance. You know, back in the day, I experienced some dysfunction in a lot of the, the super charismaniac churches I was a part of or had been to. And a lot of times I even read it in books, you know, witches are coming to the churches and witches are coming to distract and witches are coming to, you know, divide and witches. Are doing I've had witches already come here that were that were warlocks that said they recognized other warlocks in this church. I said, well, praise God. Because light is way more powerful than darkness, and witches need Jesus too. Just remember that, all right? So when the witch was thrown up in a bucket and getting the demon cast out of her, and then her son was getting cast out, and the power was greater because of the family and the culture and the presence of God, culture and strong wheats handle the issue. It doesn't mean that I don't do protective things and that we're not organized and structured to protect our children. There's somebody sitting in the hall right now listening to me preach watching all of our kids. We do a lot of things because you have to be smart and diligent. It doesn't mean that I don't have a good alarm system and cameras, and it doesn't mean that I'm, uh, or it does mean that I'm pro-gun, just so that you know. I'm sorry some of you may not like that, but hey, we're in Texas. I always try to not get myself in trouble, but it's probably inevitable it's going to happen because this is going all over the world. All right. So here's the thing. Tares are present. Tares were present in your life before you got born again. We were all toxic and we were all trafficked. If you're not born again and you, aren't, you don't have lordship from Jesus in your life, then you're your own lord which really means that the enemy's kingdom is your Lord. And you don't, it's hard, it's hard to grasp that, but I'm going to help you to understand it a little bit more. First, the way that you can actually define tares is by the results that happen when it's eaten and what it looks like. Let's look at the second, my second picture. On the screen right now is a ripe picture of wheat and tear, a tear or a Darnell. It's ripe. And when you see it ripe, it's extremely difficult to tell the difference. But upon closer inspection, you can see that the wheat on the left side of the screen has bigger grain husks inside of the head, and it's extremely fruitful and abundant to the point where a ripe grain of wheat will actually droop over, whereas a, a Darnell or a tear will always stay standing straight and erect because it's not fruitful. And the grain inside each of those husks is actually black and dark on the inside. Now it's very difficult, and you can even eat it initially thinking it's a part of the wheat, but you have the clear identifier of the symptoms in your life to know if you've been eating the wrong grain, the wrong grain, kind of like the wrong tree or the wrong fruit. So when you eat of the, of the Darnell, it's poisonous, and it makes you toxic. 
Spiritually speaking, it blurs your vision. Spiritually speaking, it shuts your mouth. Spiritually speaking, it makes you dizzy. You can never get your balance. Spiritually speaking, it makes you nauseous. Spiritually speaking, it brings fear and panic attacks. Spiritually speaking, it brings division. And so when Jesus used this term in this, this, this parable, he was speaking some very powerful truths. Darnell will kill you. And it looks just like wheat. It sounds like wheat. It acts like wheat. But at the end of the day, the consequences of eating it are destructive. It'll cause paralysis in your life. It's spiritual paralysis. Here's a good example, because I know it's affected a lot of people in this room. How many of you have ever been sleeping and been pinned down to your bed and you can't talk or you can't move? Raise your hand. Look how many people. You know, there's an, the, the science has actually come up with a term for that. It's called spiritual paralysis, or I'm sorry, sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis. Did you know that? But I have actually had that to me and seen in the spirit the demon clinging to me, and, and I couldn't say Jesus or open up my mouth. I'm telling you it's demonic. And I'm telling you that darnell or tears are like sleep paralysis. That's what it'll do to you. And so this fungus is, is toxic. The Journal of Ethnobiology said this about Darnell. Where there is Darnell, there is treachery and toxicity. Darnell or tares are a symbol of subversion, meaning it undermines power and authority. And it can manifest not only in the undermining of Jesus's power and authority, but undermining kingdom structure and kingdom power and authority. Matthew 7, 15 through 16. You guys will be all right. I know, I know it's heavy stuff. I get it. It's, it may be difficult, but you know what? I can only teach what I, what I feel like Jesus tells me to teach. So hang in there. Okay, I'll, I, you know, some messages are heavier and weightier and some are lighter and easier. But you got to know this, guys. This is, this is good biblical understanding and training and equipping. Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets. How do they come to you? They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Verse 16, you'll know them. How? By their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, they don't. If you're always getting poked and pricked and there's no fruit coming, that's a problem. Matthew 7, verse 20 through 23. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall you enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many are going to say in that day, we busted up demons, we prophesied, we're doing signs and wonders and miracles in your name. And he's going to say, I actually never knew you. Depart from me. You know why? Because they practice lawlessness. Now, what I'm not talking about, to, to make sure I don't have any confusion here this morning, I'm not talking about those of us that are born again and in process. I'm not talking about those, those of us that really want what the Lord wants, but we're struggling with difficulties. I'm not talking about those of you that are battling obstacles and having to overcome. I'm not talking about those of you that are wrestling with addictions and fears and worries. Or, I'm not talking about that. These people in nature are false converts, and they're out to, to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And I don't believe that that's any of you. And I also believe this. If the culture is strong, guess what? Those people can't stay. They'll either convert or they'll leave. And I don't have to chase them out. That's why in all the years, there's only been a couple of people who have to say, you know what? Probably best if you don't come for a little while. But most of the time, the presence of God and the culture is so healthy and so strong that the light is overpowering the darkness. And somebody shouldn't be able to come in and be toxic and divide us. But you need to know and understand the only way that the enemy can stop Rock City Church is to get us divided. We're arguing on Facebook. We're arguing about different things. We're isolated. We've got click things going on. We're, we're getting mad at each other about stuff and other people are noticing it. Stop. People should come in and see unity. The number one thing God is after in the church today, unity. If you want to see the supernatural power of God manifest, and you're saying, where's the, the signs and wonders? He's not, we're not waiting on him. He's waiting on us. And you know what he's waiting on? Unity. I had a powerful dream Thursday night. Didn't share this first service. Thursday night, I had a powerful dream. In the dream, the church was divided into four corners. And in the middle was a low-hanging ceiling. And I was preaching on unity. And I was saying to the people that, that the only way we're going to experience healing, like crazy healings, like supernatural signs and wonders, like stuff that's just off the chart, the only way we're going to see more of what God has in store for us is when we get unified. He, can't, he cannot do what he wants to do until he has a unified church. There are so many scriptures to back that up. I'll teach that another time. One of the greatest is Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1 and 2. When the 120 were praying together in unity and one accord, there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind. When the disciples were persecuted and they came back together and they prayed in unity for boldness, it says that the whole place, an earthquake came and was shaken. I would really like some spiritual earthquakes in this place. I'd like some more rushing wind coming. I'd like to see some crazy signs and wonders and miracles. But until this family gets healthy, more healthy, until we get more unified and stop arguing and bicker, bickering and being divisive, the best way to root out tares is to have a strong field, is to have strong root systems. Okay? All right. So, when Jesus said that the, the tares were sons of the wicked one, that's a difficult statement. So, I'm going to help you identify it. Sons of the wicked one look like sheep but produce bad fruit. They practice lawlessness. Okay? To practice lawlessness means I'm purposely choosing to continue living like I was prior to getting born again, but now I'm laying claim to Christianity. It means I'm practicing sin. So people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, that's not true. I don't believe that. I believe when you get born again, you become a son and a daughter, and I'm no longer a practicing sinner. Now, it takes time. I have conviction. I have a yes in my heart, and God's super patient with lots of mercy for 26 years and the rest of my life, but I have a yes in my heart, and I always had a yes in my heart. I didn't want to say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Let's party it up. Oh, man, God's okay with fornication. God's okay with drunkenness. God's okay with me living the way that I used to live. And I'm a Christian, by the way. I'm gonna, I got my passport stamped. I'm going to heaven. And yet I continue to practice lawlessness. 
And what's funny is people can even bust up demons and prophesy in Jesus' name and still practice lawlessness. And Jesus says, I never even knew you. So the, the false prophets are dressed in sheep's clothing like a tear, just like a darnell. They look like wheat or they look like sheep. They bat like sheep. They got a furry, fluffy, wool, white coat and everything on the outside. And even with their words can sound and look like a sheep. But guess what? On the inside, they're ravenous wolves. Ravenous is a very important word. It's that word rapacious. It means that they will, they're predatory in nature. Now, a couple things that I'm not going to go into in depth today. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 70 disciples, he sent them out to go house to house into cities he was about to go to. And he said, when you go into a house, if a son of peace is there, stay. They'll receive you, eat what they give you, teach them, bring healing to their lives. But if they reject you and they're not a son of peace, wipe the dust off of your knees. Okay? And so as Christians... We're called to be sons of peace. Those that God has been working on and co-laboring with, they're going to be receptive. They're going to be sons of peace in a sense. And in John chapter 8, verse 37 through 47, I'm not going to read it to you today, but I want you to go study out this bank of scriptures. John chapter 8, verses 37 to 47. You can write it down or go study it out. This bank of scriptures, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the subject is titled, Abraham's seed and Satan's seed. So Jesus does a teaching on it, guys. And he talks about to the Pharisees how their father was actually the devil. And man, you want to talk about ticking some people off? Because he's like, you're not even, they're like, we're Abra Abraham is our father. And he says, if Abraham was your father, you'd be doing what Abraham did. But your father is a liar and a murderer. So if Jesus ever signed his death wish, it was there. You want to, now I don't want any of y'all going out and being like that. I'm not telling you to do that. Jesus had a special grace, was dealing with religious Pharisees and Sadducees. He's given us a different, better way. I don't think you need to go out and be on a war path of tearing other people down. And please don't be going out calling people a son of the devil. Do you hear me? That's how I want to, people get so mixed up about this type of stuff. Here were, the, here were the telltale signs of the Pharisees. They did not adhere to truth. They did not love Jesus, and they were liars, and they were murderers. All right? So what should our response to tares be? I did a little bit of research on what the best way to deal with tares is, and here's what I found on several different websites. The best form of invasive species management is prevention. Duh. Right? Wouldn't you say? Prevention is the best thing you can do to get to keep tears out of your life. Let's keep tears from ever coming in. Or if you've had them in your heart, listen to these other things. If prevention is no longer possible, <laughs> it's best to treat the weed infestations when they are small to prevent them from establishing a larger colony. Early detection and rapid response. Early detection and rapid response. That means no misconversations. That means no building up bitterness and anger over time. 
That means that we start to deal with the smaller amounts before we try to deal with the big ones. Here's what it says, controlling tears before its seeds will before it seeds will reduce future problems. Control is generally best applied to the least infected areas before dense infestations are tackled. Consistent follow-up work is required for sustainable management. Sounds like discipleship to me. And the understanding is, is that we're doing follow-up, we're cultivating, hence our, our Sunday morning cultivate class, okay? And so the next thing is the best thing that you can do if there's any tear-like issues in your life, is to sow clean seed. Because the clean seed has the power to dominate over the dark seed or the dysfunctional seed. Be clean seed sowers. Be clean seed sowers. Live righteous. Sow the word of God. Bring it into your life. Sow clean seed, not bitter seed. Don't feed the dark issues the struggles, the hurts, and allow yourself to start dealing with the small root systems as God leads you to deal with the bigger ones. And I'll talk about that briefly before I pray here in just a moment. Now, let's all say this together. Lordship is key. Malachi 3.11, the Lord says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Isn't that awesome? Deuteronomy 28.2, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Obedience is key, everybody. Here's what he says if you're obedient. Number three, verse three. Blessed will you be in the city and blessed will you be in the country where the King James Version says the field. Verse four, blessed shall be the fruit of your body the produce of your ground and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. The point is, is that Jesus comes to our defense. He fights for us and he blesses us. Your heart becomes healthy. Your family becomes healthy and everything you put your hand to becomes prosperous and becomes healthy. It's the kingdom way. And so to conclude, how are we to handle tares? Number one, everyone had tares in their life to begin with. It was the infectious poison from the garden. So let's prevent future tears. Let's be born again, spirit-filled, and cultivate a life to the spirit. Don't sow them and don't eat them. Don't sow tears and don't eat them. Prevention in our children. We can help our children to not get tears in their life. How you nourish them, how you love them, what you speak to them, how you comfort them, how you show them and reflect Jesus in their life. I believe that we can have children raised up to know and love Jesus all the days of their life and never, ever become a tear or have tears in their heart. If there's tears in your life, let's choke them out. Let's not let them mature in your life. Recognize that all sin is demonic in nature, and even believers have to root out infections in their soul when they give their lives to Jesus. You're all in process. So later in 1 John, Jesus said, I'm sorry, John said, Anybody that sins is of the devil. Now, that's a pretty hard word. He said, for this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the works of the devil. So, if you're a Christian and you sin, does it make you a son of the devil? Not necessarily. What he's saying is, is that all sin has its root in demonic activity. All sin has its root in demonic activity. And so that's why Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. 
We each have a responsibility to deal with our own hearts. Jesus said, instead of trying to pull the plank out of your brothers, get the speck out of your own, or vice versa. Instead of getting the speck out of your brothers, get the plank out of yours. And so our job is to help each other grow. Our job is to become strong. And our job is to help people realize and get free by praying with them, loving them, measuring them, and counseling them as family, as mothers and fathers, as brothers and sisters. Don't let a religious spirit control you. Don't let a religious spirit control you. Love people really, really well and treat everybody equally. No matter where they're at, treat them equally. Kingdom laborers know how to work fields accurately. Your heart, your family, your church, the marketplace, and the world. Don't discriminate and learn to discern. Get the gift of the discernment from the Holy Spirit in your life so that you know who you're dealing with, so you know people's heart conditions, and so you know how to love really, really well. Remember, we don't have a harvest problem. We have a laborer problem. And that was the scripture. John 4.35 says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white. There's people that desperately, desperately need what we have to offer. We just have to go get them. And the wolves and the tares, they'll always be there. But don't get sidetracked by that. And understand that we're not called to try to pick out which one is and which one isn't. You're going to know that some people are toxic. You're going to have some friends that are toxic. You're going to have friends that don't really care about you or your spiritual life, and they'll pull you down. Learn how to lovingly deal with them, and sometimes that means disassociating with them. All right? But for the most part, what I want you to do is I want you to become strong, strong wheat. And we want to root out the tares in your life. Amen? Let's all stand.